This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is January 21st. I'm not a big New Year's resolutions person, but I have to lose weight. It's not the freshman 15. The joke that's been going around has been the pandemic 19, right? Well, I wish it was 19. If I had to leave the house right now, I'd have to buy a whole new wardrobe, and that is not a joke. So I have made it a priority this year. The direction of my 2021 is health. To get there for me means retooling habits, less eating out, healthier food, cooking at home. My wife also hoping to get healthier, so we're making plans together, both aligned behind that goal. Now, things will happen over the coming weeks and months. We have strengths and weaknesses, some in our control, like too much snacking, and some not really in our control, but they will make achieving the goal more difficult. An example of that would be stress. But if we've thought about it, we can look ahead. Then we're ready for what comes our way, and it gives us the best chance of achieving the outcome we want. Instead, for example, of reaching for the bag of potato chips when I'm stressed, I'm just going to be in the corner maniacally chewing on a piece of celery. To ensure we're on the right track, we'll weigh in once a week. If things aren't going in the right direction, we'll take a look at what we've been doing, what's working, what's not, and adjust as necessary. And that is basically a strategic plan. Given that the calendar has just rolled over, we thought we might talk a little bit about strategic plans, why they're important, and how to do it for your organization, or even just for you personally. Now, before I forget to say it, we have resources, sample strategic plans, spreadsheets you can use to track your key performance metrics up on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. There you will see a link to episode 48, Click that and you're there. And a reminder, you can always reach us here at the podcast through the email podcast at bestfriends.org about anything, feedback, ideas for future episodes. We especially love the emails that come in where you're telling us about the really interesting, innovative, life-saving work you're doing. Podcast at bestfriends.org. There are so many types of animal welfare organizations. We've got municipal shelters, nonprofits with municipal contracts, rescue organizations from multi-million dollar humane societies and SPCAs to much, much smaller all-volunteer run organizations, some with facilities and some without. I could keep going, but you get the point. And I know that certain topics are much easier to relate to if the organization you're hearing from is like yours. But as I said at the top of the episode, strategic planning, the framework, the process is the same and really only as complicated as you want to make it. There are probably some strategic planning pros out there right now that are like, what is this guy talking about? I stand behind what I just said. Of all the myriad organization types in the industry, South Suburban Humane Society is sort of somewhere in the middle. They are a nonprofit holding municipal contracts. They're on the larger side, I would say, with annual revenue of about $2 million. So they're not small by any stretch, but they're not huge. But they wouldn't be anywhere near what they are today without the leadership of Emily Klemp, the CEO of the South Suburban Humane Society. We started as a foster-based organization in Chicago Heights, serving the south suburbs of Chicago. So that's where we're located. For several decades, we were an intake and 
outcome facility. Unfortunately, most of those outcomes were not positive. In leading to 2007, when I took over, our save rate was about 60%. And since 2013, we've been at or above 90%. In 2007, we realized that there were a lot of programmatic pieces that were missing, specifically public spay-neuter, low-cost spay-neuter, programs to help people keep their pets. And so since 2008, we've operated a high-volume, low-cost spay-neuter clinic uh, that does about 5,000 surgeries per year. We have a pet food bank. We have a big sign on the side of our building that says, how can we help you keep your pet today? And in 2015, we partnered to open a low-cost, full-service veterinary clinic. So anything that people need uh, who income qualify can visit that. Uh, We opened an adoption center in 2019, and then we're poised now to move finally out of this building, which has served us well in terms of what we have saved as an organization, but uh, has tremendous challenges for efficiency and health of the animals. I mean, we we have no true isolation here. We have a whole kennel ward that has no drains whatsoever. So every dog has to be walked outside and then walked back inside. So we received a $6 million grant from the county in May of 2020. And we're breaking ground on our new building in April and hope to be in there in February 2022. So, I mean, that's a lot of growth and change since you've been there. I think you said 2007. And I know there's some, shall we say, complexity to Cook County. Mm -hmm. Give me the lay of the land where you are, the role South Suburban Humane Society plays in all of that. Because as we talk about strategic planning for SSHS, I think I think it's helpful for you to set the scene. So Cook County has 5 million plus residents. Obviously, the city of Chicago is two and a half million of that. But there's two and a half million then people who live in the county outside of the city of Chicago. Cook County does not have an animal services facility. So we have animal control, but we don't have an animal shelter. So what that means is every municipality outside of the city of Chicago, which of course utilizes Chicago Animal Care and Control. But every municipality, including the county, has to contract for services. So they do that either through nonprofit animal shelters like ours or veterinary clinics. Um, Some utilize boarding facilities. But it creates a hodgepodge of places where, one, a lost pet can go, but two, such confusion for our communities on where they seek help when they are in need of help. Um, So in 2018, the first part of 2018, there is a large animal welfare organization in Chicagoland that had a canine influenza outbreak. When that canine influenza outbreak happened, it shed a lot of light on what was really happening inside the doors of that organization, their save rate, policies and procedures, all of that kind of stuff. And so they held 55 municipal contracts, which included the counties. All of that attention and sort of, you know, being under the microscope caused a a number of those municipalities to say, this is not the best outcome for our animals in our community. And so they wanted to seek services elsewhere. So in 2018, SSHS went from three municipal contracts to 11. And um, that's a significant increase in a short amount of time. And so it really meant that we were completely without space. We, at that point in 2018, took on the county's stray services contract as well. So we had the county and then 10 other uh, municipalities. So we were 
I mean, when I say we were without space, we had dogs in every office. We had dogs in crates in our multi-purpose room. And that's with a huge foster program. We just couldn't, we couldn't keep up. So in 2018, we were evaluating our options. And that was around the same time that we were doing our strategic planning. We do it in three-year increments. And so we said, you know, our, our number one goal for the next three years has to be a short-term plan to increase space, a long-term plan to be able to have a healthy building that could accommodate more pets and people in need. Well, and I also want to add that a second part of that strategic plan was that uh, we needed a coalition of animal organizations across Chicagoland, because although many of us had relationships, we didn't have anything in a formal setting, you know, where when we were in such a situation with space, I couldn't put a call out to a bunch of other organizations to say we need help. You know, nothing like that was formalized. The crux of the problem is the county not having uh, an animal facility. And I found uh, an inspector general report from 2015 that had analyzed the county's animal services and had made the recommendation that a facility was necessary. And in fact, the county then had allocated funds, millions of dollars of funds, towards that purpose, which had been sitting there since 2015 untouched. So that was an answer. We needed to to figure out politically how we could connect with the county to make that happen. The county was not interested in operating an animal facility. Um, so it took a few years, but in 2019, they issued the RFP for capital funds to build an animal shelter, one in the south and then one in the north. So of the $8 million in funds, we received $6 million in May of 2020, to build a healthy, progressive animal shelter campus that can serve more pets in need. So that's the process that we're going through now is the the construction of that building. Well, congrats on the new building. Uh, What about your background, Emily? Yeah. So I actually graduated with a political science degree and I was going to go That's handy in Cook County with the complexity of everything. I have thought that so many times that I there was a lot to be said for my 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 political background, um, and I did a lot of political organizing in college and and post college as well. And then I my first job was as a community organizer for a nonprofit in Chicago, which again I think gave me a lot of skills in terms of mapping community assets and really trying to develop programs and services that best meet the needs of a community. I moved to the South Suburbs from Chicago and became a dog walker volunteer here at the South Suburban Humane Society because pets have always been, I grew up on a farm and pets have always been a passion of mine. And uh, I was walking dogs alongside the board president at the time. And when she asked me what I did and I said I was a development professional for a nonprofit, she asked me to join the board. that day because, you know, all, all nonprofits are always seeking people with skills to join our boards of directors. And uh, when I joined the board, so I was on the board for about a year and a half. And during that time was when the, the organization decided to hire an executive. And I applied and 14 years later, here, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> so you got this trajectory of the organization from the way you describe it when you started 14 years ago to where you are today, this huge amount of change. When you started, was there a strategic plan in place? Did you, or did you walk into a situation where day one, you're like, okay, 
I got to get this sorted out and we need to put pen to paper and and figure out where we want to go. Yeah. So the latter, most definitely. So actually, when I was hired, I was told by the board who, keep in mind, had been my contemporaries because I was on the board. The board essentially said to me, we're hiring you for your development and marketing um, and program skills everything is running fine in the shelter. So you don't need to pay attention to animal care or anything with regards to that. And I was 28 and doe-eyed and, <laughs> and optimistic. And I believed that. And I, you know, I know how to be development, you know, strategically with development. I know all of that. I don't know how to be strategic with animal care and running an animal shelter. And so I basically spent the next 30 days I read Shelter Medicine, one of the the first versions of that book. I made contact with Dr. Newberry and Dr. Hurley. Very early on, I went to Animal Care Expo that next March, and I said, I need help. I need everyone's help. And I was so lucky, like so many of us have been, that there are so many mentors and leaders in our field that are so giving. So in terms of strategic planning, I realized very early on that the house had to be in order before you put it up for sale. So we had to change everything that we were doing in terms of animal care and adoptions, saving lives, and our partnership within our communities. Because you can imagine that when just over half of animals are coming out alive of a a building, the community doesn't particularly trust you as someone that they can go to when they need help. So, you know, it took us two to three years to get that in line, to put the right people in the right seats on the bus, which is very critical for a change and advancement. And then we could start looking at the programs and services that we were offering and make those expansions. And so really in three-year increments, that's what we've done in terms of strategic planning. We have sat really since 2012. I would say before that, it was really just me putting pen to paper to say, this is what we have to do next. But really from 2012 on, I've had really great boards who have sat with me and said, here's our end goal. What's our three goals that are achievable in the next three years? to get to that overarching goal. And we've just set those, you know, sort of every three years. So where are you right now with your three-year strategic plan cycle? So we just completed uh, the three-year, which obviously one of the goals was the new building. Um, So we just now in 2021, we're writing our next three years, which we have done and really center on getting into the new building as the primary first goal. The second is expanding our services to owned pets in our communities and really ensuring that we are a part of the community instead of coming into a community and telling them what they need. A large part of that, you know, shifted with the focus internally and externally on diversity, equity, and inclusion, making sure that we are authentic members of our BIPOC communities because that. SSHS, about 80% of our constituency is of color. And so we, you know, a, a huge outcome under that, that goal for us is making sure that our staff is reflective of those communities. And, and we're working on that and on our way and our board as well, which is important. And then the third is to focus more on the paying and retention of our staff. Because we have been on a shoestring budget for so long, we haven't paid our people in the way that we need to pay them 
to retain talent, to attract and retain talent. And so as we grow into this new facility, we think that there will be more opportunities for us to focus more on on that aspect. Three years is a long time. Like, I don't know about you, but three years ago feels like a hundred years ago. <laughs> I mean, the pandemic alone and, and curious actually what the pandemic the last year or so, I mean, what has that done to your strategic plan and your goals? Well, so 2020 was our 50th anniversary and we had a lot of plans in 2020 and those quickly got derailed. <laughs> and so we had to, you know, take a look back at what we had planned to do. And I hate to use the, the word of the year, but pivot to, I know, I know no one, uh, that word is going to be banned from our vocabulary going forward. Uh, but we, you know, we really had to look at, okay, well, how can we celebrate our anniversary in a way that's different than we had planned? And so we did that, you know, because that our anniversary was a big part of our strategic plan to talk about where we've come from and to build upon that to where we're going, particularly because it coincided with the new building. The other way that we had to just change everything was that we're, we were set to launch a capital campaign in 2020, which there are very specific things that you do with a capital campaign. You invite people to see the current facility and, and you have meetings and lunches and all of that had to go out the window. We had, we are running basically a virtual capital campaign, which is not easy. <laughs> and we have about an $850,000 gap to what we need. And I have until December 21 to raise it. So, so good. You know, that, we got some time here. <laughs> that's a lot, but I do believe in you. Thank you. <laughs> so we, you know, we had to rethink that, but if we had been writing our strategic plan, at the beginning of 2020, would we have a whole focus area on diversity, equity, and inclusion? I want to say yes, but the answer is no. No, it, it took the murder of George Floyd and the national attention that has been paid to that for us to internally look at. We have 34 staff, three are of color at the point that we were looking at. It has increased now. I have a board of directors of seven one is of color. And for us to say, this is not acceptable and this is not who, who we want to be, and then build a roadmap for how we get to who we need to be as representatives of the communities where we are. The last thing, Emily, I want this episode to be is uh, what an episode on strategic planning could be, which is a detail going through, you know, the nuts and bolts, the planning process. But I do want to hear from you at the high level, the process you use to develop your plan. I know people listening are going to be saying, so what do I do? This is a big thing. I don't know how to do it. And I think a natural reaction is that the two words, strategic plan, are corporate speak. And, you know, you, you conjure up images of consultants and PowerPoints and breakouts and needing more coffee by 2 p.m. because you're starting to fade or whatever. So for you, you know, like, give me the, give me the high level. How do you decide a three-year cycle? How do you decide what the goals are? Like, how are you tracking it? I think you're absolutely right that people get so intimidated by the process of it because it seems like there has to be this very specified process to, to build a strategic plan. And that's, how I was, because that was my background. That's what I came from, is that's what we did. But when we didn't have the resources as an organization to make that happen, the conversation I led 
is who do we want to be in three years? What are, what are words, what are values and attributes that we want to have to utilize to say who we are? Really, that is a broad conversation, but when you start there, then it organically comes out what we have to do organizationally to get to who we want to be. And also through that process, managing some expectations, right? I mean, in, in 2012, we said we wanted a new shelter within three years, but we were an organization in 2012 that was operating at a deficit. <laughs> so that was a less likely outcome to achieve. So we had to sort of, I think a, an important part of the process is identifying what those those goals are and then the manageable outcomes. So if our goal is to hire more staff of color and to have a more diverse staff, that is a really great goal, but how do we get there? So an outcome is we've revised our hiring procedures. So instead of looking through resumes and looking for specific education or, you know, training backgrounds, we recognize that with a lot of positions on our team, we can train a lot. We're looking for people who are passionate and we can train how to clean. That's not having someone who has any kind of an animal background other than maybe having a pet of their own is irrelevant, you know, and we were excluding a lot of people because they didn't have a, a college degree or, uh, you know, a, even a GED because what, what does that really even tell us <laughs> about how someone is going to be as an employee? It's then, you know, breaking those larger goals down into manageable outcomes, which those manageable outcomes are tied to staff's day-to-day -day work. And I think that that is another tricky part of it to say, how do we translate, you know, wanting to increase our foster program to what that looks like on a week-to-week -week basis for our foster coordinator? And that's where data is important and making sure that we're setting tangible steps along the way towards achieving those outcomes. And it's also why staff are a critical component of a strategic planning process. I've talked to a lot of people across our field where, you know, the board creates their strategic plan sort of in a black hole, and then here it is <laughs> to the staff. And that that's a huge mistake for a number of reasons, but one that the staff have to be involved in terms of setting those steps. I do want to talk about involvement of staff and, and other people in the process, but just on the goal front, you mentioned the foster program and setting the goals for the coordinator. How are you defining what the goal is and what it should be? I mean, is it just simply a percentage increase year over year? We fostered out 1,600 pets in 2019, and that was the highest number that we've ever fostered out. 2020 is a, an anomaly. We all recognize that. But we fostered out 2,200 pets in, in 2020. So, you know, she wants to increase that by 25% in 2021. I love it because I love dreaming big. And let's break that down into to quarters and, and months and look more at the trends of what's coming in and break it down into more manageable segments so that if we get to the end of 2021 and you haven't achieved 25%, well, but we got, let's say, 25% more neonatal kittens out into foster. 
that's a success. Maybe we won't have the same number of dogs going out because people will be going back to work. But I think it's important that we focus on success. I think, I think in every industry, but you know, in animal welfare too, we're sort of always trying to level up. We're trying to, you know, do something bigger than the year before. And we should always be hoping for that. But we lose sight of the small victories and the achievements if we're not focusing on on the broader picture, you know, of data and and programs. So this is all pretty useless unless people beyond you, the CEO and a board, know about it, right? Uh, and as you said earlier, a board creating a strategic plan in a silo, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But how do you involve others? Like at what point? So, I mean, for example, at Best Friends, their strategic plan developed far outside of me, um, but it is shared with everyone. And in fact, for the last few years, our own uh, you know departments and individual goals are all tied to them. It sort of ladders up, right? So not in a, you know, John Dunn, you're going to get fired if we don't achieve this thing, but it aligns me, my work, my understanding of what I do, where I fit, to the larger effort of the organization and where where the organization is trying to go. So how do you bring your plan out to the larger staff? Are you, you know, do you make this available to volunteers? Do you think this should be, uh, you know, out for the public uh, up on your website? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I'm not certain that I have the answers to it. We have talked about putting our strategic plan on the website because I do think it's important that donors and community members know that you're not only focused on the day-to-day, but looking at the long-term picture. We have communicated our strategic plan in its form to foundations and to donors, and I think that's a good thing. We communicate to staff, for sure, obviously, as they're a part of it. To volunteers, you know, we have typically an annual volunteer meeting where we sort of talk about what our goals and priorities are for the year, which inevitably is the strategic plan. But I think there's more that we could and should be doing to communicate that to the public. And, you know, not not to get too much into 2020, but I do think that's another lesson and takeaway from 2020 is that when we authentically and transparently communicate to our community what we need, this is what we need from you, and here's why, then they respond. <laughs> and, you know, they did in a huge way with fostering. And so if we could translate that into the other needs and the direction that we're heading as an animal welfare organization, so much more could be possible. As we talked about earlier, life changes a lot. Our community shift maybe quicker than we might realize Factors like the economy, certainly concerned about now, internally, you know, we may grow financially in a way we didn't see or the opposite. We may have to make some cuts. So whatever it is, we've got this three-year plan, but the end of year one, it's like a totally different world. Mm -hmm. And we worked hard, right? I mean, we sat together, really devoted time. We identified factors. We did a SWOT analysis, but, you know, forget it. The world's upside down. Not a lot is really relevant on the plan that we put together. So what do we do from there? I think that is a really important point that people and organizations sometimes see a strategic plan as this is a closed document for the next three years. And that's false. It's a living document, right? So there might be things like a pandemic that come along that cause you to take a look at it and say, 
is are we still on the right path? Do we want to revise what this looks like and then revise it? Because what's there's no there's no reason not to do that if if priorities and things have shifted. You know, for us a big part of that was obviously blocky headed whatever's whatever we want to call them, pit bull type dogs, bully breeds are the greatest challenge through our municipal stray contracts. They're the highest number that come in. They are the least reclaimed to their homes. So, you know, we looked at what we were focusing on and realized that shifting some focus to medium and large size dogs and shifting focus to return to home services uh, needed to be something that we put on paper, you know, through our strategic plan. And so we did. So part of that is we removed all reclaim fees and uh, set a focus, which again, 2020 shifted a bit, but we set a focus on working with our local municipalities to remove ticketing and releases. Again, I, I, I imagine it's the same for a lot of other places, but several of our municipalities require a pet owner to come to the police department and get a physical release um, that then they have to bring to the shelter that we then can release their pet back to them. That release almost always comes with ticketing that they have to pay to the police department. An argument that I had been making before the middle of last year was that we have a huge number of people in our community with an inherent distrust of law enforcement. And so now you're asking a black man to voluntarily walk into a police station to reclaim his dog. Forget it. Forget it. I mean, that's, it's, it's why the, the numbers are so low. And so, you know, we, we needed to shift some of what we were doing and focusing towards policy change, um, which is not something that we had particularly focused on as an organization. Although 2020 set that back, you know, that's a part of what we need to do in 21 and going forward to really increase return to home numbers, which have to increase in order to continue to, to save and impact as many lives. So that shift, the changes, do you scratch what you've got and just draw it up again and, and restart the three years? No, no. It just changes, you know, some of the outcomes and changes some of what what we're doing on a day-to-day basis to meet those outcomes. Uh, maybe we add a fourth section uh, a few years ago. That is what happened. We added a fourth section to our strategic plan that wasn't there. It's your document. So if, if you need to make the changes to make it workable, then you do that. There are still people at this point, I guarantee it, Emily, that, and I think particularly those with smaller organizations, they're saying, I just, I don't have time for this. I'm up to my neck in bottle baby kittens and I got to pay bills today. Something's due and the van just broke down and the, you know, the vet's calling and a volunteer is really a pain in my butt. Like I just, who, I don't have time. I just don't have time for this. I mean, who has the time to take days out and do this kind of stuff? And I was that person. <laughs> so, you know, there was a, a period of time when we were in high, high change mode that I was working the intake desk I was the volunteer coordinator, and then I would be here until 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night doing the books, right? Because that's where we were. And so I know that when you are in that, when you are in the trenches of doing that, you have to have a bigger goal. You have to have something that you are able to stand back, even if it's for two minutes a day to stand back and to say, yes, I'm here in the mud 
but I can see ahead where I'm going. You have to have a vision forward. And maybe a fully written strategic plan is not where you're at if you're in that mud. But getting out of the mud and being to a place where you have additional staff that can support the daily activities of the shelter, or maybe it is increasing your community presence and donor base so that you can afford those things. Whatever small goal that it is that you can write and put somewhere, and maybe it's a post-it note that's in your office somewhere, I just think it's critically important to have a vision forward and to have something that you are putting in the day after day drudgery of doing into getting to a different place. You just mentioned a post-it note, which is perfect actually for what I was going to bring up next, which is the how in terms of the structure. You know, it doesn't have to be someone from the outside to facilitate. I mean, if you can, great, right? Um, outside perspective is always helpful to, to steer that. But, you know, and if you've got a board member who knows the stuff, amazing. But you really don't need that. Truly, a, an afternoon devoted and, you know, you just lay out a basic structure for the conversation and some post-it notes and you can really do a hell of a lot. Yeah. I mean, we have a flip chart <laughs> and, and columns and markers and that's what we, we write it all up with. You know, it's nothing fancy. And our strategic planning document is a Word document. Yeah, I love project management software and none of us know how to use it. <laughs> So we, you know, we have a we have a Trello board for projects too. But um, in terms of anything fancy or sophisticated, that's not who we are. Like talking about values and attributes, like as an organization, that's not who we are. So we make things work, and we made a strategic plan work. I know a big deal that's been happening there is the the coalition. Tell me about the coalition you've been building. So in 2018. We set as a goal that we needed a broad, you know, animal coalition, uh, animal services coalition. Um, and so since March 2019, we've been meeting. We have 10 members in our coalition. Um, I was served as the chair for a year. And it is one of the great joys of my career, to be quite honest. Um, and it really, again, the pandemic uh, brought us together in a way that we were already coming so far together. But during the early days of the pandemic, we started meeting weekly, virtually, to say, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. How are, how are you doing this? And it caused um, a deepening of relationships now to the point where uh, you know, December 22nd, we took in 47 cats from a cat hoarder situation in Cook County. I emailed the coalition, and within 30 minutes, we had three organizations offering to come and pick up cats. That never would have happened, you know, before the work that we put into building that coalition. We, we definitely checked the success box <laughs> on the strategic plan. Do you have a strategic plan for the coalition? We do, but we actually... <laughs> And again, it's one of those things where we wrote our strategic goals in January of 2020, and then eh, March happened. So uh, we sort of just threw that out the window and, and we're focusing on eviction resources and fostering. So we have a meeting tomorrow, actually, um, where we're revisiting that strategic planning process. And I think to the whole point of recognizing the strategic plans are living documents to say, here are all of these amazing lessons we learned over the past year. 
So incorporating a new strategic plan forward, given those new lessons and the new ways that we're working together. So this new facility, uh, when is it opening? February, 2022. And what are the colors going to be? (laughs) Uh, So we had that meeting yesterday and it was hugely exciting. I asked that because I saw a post on Facebook with some swatches and I want to know what you chose. So we're going with uh, obviously the fear free color palette, um, which are blues and greens. And so we have some dark blue accent walls and sage green and it's gorgeous. (laughs) I I mean, it's, you know, is it the absolute building of my dreams? No, because that would require $50 million for me to do everything that that we want to do. But my vision and our strategic plan goal was that we have an animal resource campus that is more than an animal shelter that it is a one-stop shop for people in need. So we're moving our two clinics to the campus space. It's located on a 30-acre piece of land that has walking trails through wetlands <laughs> that just going to it's completely changes the feeling that a person has when they come to the shelter and allows us to continue to serve pets but in a, a calm and attractive environment. And it's not the Taj Mahal of animal shelters, but that's not what we need to be building. We need healthy and progressive buildings. And so that's what it is. And I'm insanely proud of it. And I can't, I can't wait. Congratulations to Emily and the South Suburban Humane Society team and to the Chicago Land Life Saving Coalition. We covered the incredible progress in the city of Chicago back in episode four. And you know, this isn't just the city, right? All these things happening across Cook County incredibly inspiring. And don't forget, we've got resources on the website to help get you started with your strategic plan, bestfriends.org slash podcast. The producers, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.